Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate and otherwise sponsors. This week we have a message from Bobby's Blend. Has this ever happened to you? Ho hum. I'm constantly asking for money to help support my podcast and occasionally mental health charities. But now I want to ask for money for something else. If this is currently happening to you, you're Bobby. Bobby Judo. Bobby, what do you want money for now? Thanks, Ollie. This time, I'd actually like to offer the listeners the exciting business opportunity to get in on the ground floor of a brand new business opportunity that's opportune for business. No, um, no, just kidding. I, I wanted to announce that I am finally launching a crowdfunding page for a, no lie, Riverside barbecue terrace out in the mountains in Karatsu, complete with barbecue spaces to rent, to cook on your own, or the option to buy American-style grilled burgers, ribs, barbecue chicken, etc., as well as my own line of original sauces and spices. Well, the fact that this is a Riverside venture means that I have a prima facie legal claim for a portion of business revenue. Yes, uh, your portion will be entirely paid in pork. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I have a, a crowdfunding page on Campfire. You can find out there how to donate in return for a lot of things. Things like a box of products, an invitation to the opening party, a private cooking lesson, stickers, a day's use of a barbecue site, a night in our attached guest room, and so, so much more. <laughs> Presumably there's a stretch goal with a night in your actual bedroom as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, if somebody would pay me for it for a change, that'd be great. Uh, but the Campfire platform, unfortunately, it's only available for people who are in Japan. If you're not in Japan and you would like to contribute, uh, please contact me directly via Twitter, Facebook, or my new barbecue brand dedicated Instagram account, which is Bobby's underscore blend. Uh, this crowdfunding project is all in, which means we're doing it no matter how much we collect. But every yen collected means we can make it that much better. Um, by which I mean the facility, not the food. The food quality should be independent of how much you donate. Uh, but all links are in the show notes and plastered all over my social media as of today. So please do check it out. Thank you. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. Yeah, welcome back. I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Pernilla Rudlin, a consultant who specializes in providing training for Japanese companies doing business in Europe. Currently, she's removed the River Wensum acclimation cruise from her training regimen, as thanks to current government policies and a Brexit-induced chemical shortage, it's full of poo. Pernilla, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. On this week's show, the post-Brexit UK-Japan trade agreement was touted as a British-shaped deal that goes substantially farther than the existing European one. But it's been a year now, and we've discovered the same thing we discovered when we dated that French exchange student back in high school. The European ones go farther. We'll get Pernilla's take on what that trade deal was meant to accomplish and how it's played out. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, later in the show, I will be recommending an overnight historical reenactment river cruise where, despite being on a historical narrowboat, guests offered a modern-day luxury of a queen-sized bed. I tried it, but forgot that in the 1800s, people were way smaller then, and the queens were like the size of children, so you're sleeping in a cot. 
Also, when asked about concerns about the effects of global warming on the Japanese river cruise industry, Aso Taro suggested this week that one positive effect of increasingly hot conditions could be that people will be happy about getting to cool down in the water when the boats sink. We'll talk more about that later, but first, Soap Talk. Brian, did you enjoy your week off from the podcast? No. And stop asking. Prunella, it's great to be back with a British guest supporting British values as, <laughs> as, as we enjoy, as we enjoy the, the huge success that our country is currently enjoying post-Brexit. <laughs> Thank you. Except I'm not very British, really. I'm a bit Danish as well. In fact, I wish I was more Danish and had a Danish passport sometime. Well, yes, and I, and I understand that you, you spent some of your childhood living in Japan. Is that right? Yeah, I used to joke that I was um, a third Japanese because I'd spent a third of my life living oh. there, but um, now I'm rather old. Me, me uh, too. That's not the case. But uh, yeah, I lived, uh, I, I first of all lived up in Sendai when I was a little girl and uh, went to a um, Shirayuri Shogakko, which was one of those very traditional Japanese all-girls schools with a sailor, and, uh, sailor uniform and a hat and one of those really heavy leather randoseru rucksack things. Yeah. Um, and I was probably the first non-Japanese person to go to that school. So I had to learn Japanese really fast to survive. I can imagine. Yeah. And now you're back in the UK in uh, the home of Alan Partridge. That's how many of our yes, listeners will know that's... where you live. Norwich, is that right? <laughs> that's right. It's about the only damn thing that Norwich is famous for. <laughs> but we've just decided to roll with it. There's, e there's even a pub called the Owl Sanctuary. Is there? <laughs> Alan Partridge's joke about, you know, <laughs> cracking Owl Sanctuary. Do... do... Japanese people have any chance of getting why Alan Partridge is funny? Because it's a style of humour that I genuinely don't think exists in Japan. Do they know who he is? I mean, I, I'm familiar with the name, but if you asked me to pick him out of a lineup, I probably couldn't. Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, um, Steve Coogan, the actor. Oh, I know that one. I don't know if he's done anything else that has hit Japan. I doubt it. But, you know, I, I remember when I was living in Japan the third time round, just being so surprised that Japanese people were... Um, renting out Monty Python yeah. videos oh, yeah, yeah. And, and thinking, what, why would that make any sense? And I think I often say to people in my training sessions, actually, that, that I think one thing that the Japanese and the British certainly share is a, a sense of humor that's more around a sense of the absurd. And the yeah, ridiculous. Mm. anything that's and sort of self-deprecation and just making a bit of an idiot of yourself. Yeah. That all, all translates very well. Visually yes. identifiable silliness is very easy to, to understand across <laughs> cultural boundaries. Yeah. 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 And uh, despite living in Norwich, do you still manage to get a taste of Japan? Actually, Norwich, is that's one of the sort of hidden secrets, I think, about Norwich, is that we have excellent restaurants here of all, all shades. Um, and just opposite my house, it's not the reason I moved here, but just opposite my house is a, uh, a, a genuinely Japanese-run um, restaurant that does uh, sort of sushi and... Not a ringer hut, then. Not a ringer hut. No. So, so you're mentioning that because of uh, um, our other Japan connection, then. You guys have a connection to ringer hut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. There's. I could yes. walk to one in five minutes. And what? 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 Yeah. Well, anyway, yes. The, the connection is. Uh, I just discovered this recently because I was working with somebody from the uh, Sainsbury Institute for Study of Japanese Art and Cultures on on sort of on these Japan connections, and he said to me, "Well, of course, um, Frederick Ringer." was born in Norwich and I said who he and he said he's the British merchant that set up in Nagasaki in the 1860s 
Um, and the Ringer Hut Champon Noodle Restaurants are named after Oh, him. what? And so I started to do a sort of search on this and, and found out that indeed the founders of Ringer Hut visited Norwich and went to his grave and paid their respects. No way. So all Ringer Huts are built in kind of like the same franchise construction where there's mm. a bell tower on top of the building. And I'd always yeah. assumed that they were called Ringer Hut because of ringing the bell. Clearly not. That, that makes sense. But there was a dude named Frederick Ringer who was in Nagasaki. About the same time as Thomas Glover, and in fact had a house next door to Thomas Glover's famous house, and it's still there. Man, I I always love hearing these stories of like the the OG Gaijin, but because because <laughs> yeah. they fall like they they set the standard for the rest of us, right? They you know they 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 you know try their hand at dating the foreign women and don't get very good at the language and like still have to smuggle in British food because they it, yeah you know. <laughs> It, that's funny. Um, it's weird that there's no English influence in the menu of Ringer Hut because it all serves very traditional kind of like Japanese arrangements of Chinese food and, and things I like see. that. But now that I think about it, last time I was there, they do ask you how you like your food prepared. And one of the options was bland. So maybe that's the... <laughs> Oi, stop it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, um, I mean, just a couple of things on that. First of all, Frederick Ringer was quite an interesting character in contrast to some of the other gaijin, the OGs, as you call yeah. them. Um, he was more of the school of do not fraternize with the natives. So he married a, a, another gaijin woman mm -hmm. and um, insisted that they continue their British lifestyle. Um, and But the servants and the uh, employees of Home Ringer, as his, his company was called, should all continue to wear Japanese clothing and shouldn't wear Western clothing. So he was quite some yeah, hard line. Kind of there. kind yeah. of the equivalent of like the ugly American. You know, like you go you go to as as a military or diplomatic uh, position, yeah, you go to another country at the, and uh, yeah. at the Watsit store and just eat peanut butter all the time. Yeah. A bit like that. I think it was also a moral sense to it because Norwich is uh, quite a kind of heavy kind of non conformist tradition. Hmm. He certainly came out of that. He was a nonconformist, um, and so I think he—he he was felt it was kind of morally wrong yeah. to um, have Japanese mistresses like all the other people uh -huh. were, like Thomas Glover, um, and and that that was somehow not, uh, yeah, not pure and nice. And it was actually weirdly almost out of respect for for Japan mm. too that Japan, the culture should not be contaminated by. Um, Filthy foreign mm. Well, speaking of uh, filthy foreigners and morally questionable people, uh, you've worked extensively with Rochelle Kopp, um, <laughs> who we love, who we love. Uh, she's our most frequent traveler on the Japan by River Cruise cruise uh, podcast here. Um, what's it like to work with her personally? Well, actually, you know, we, we, we go back a long, long way. Um, when the internet was still a, a new thing, we actually wrote a book together. Um, or, uh, just by by email um and so i never actually met her physically huh. um although the reason she tracked me down or we we tracked her down was that um i used to belong when i was in japan in the early 90s to um a thing i don't know if it's still around called the kaisha society which was um for foreigners working in japanese companies in in tokyo and she'd been a member as well but i think just before me or something um, and we used to do these surveys every year of, of foreigners in Japanese companies, what they were being paid, what kind of benefits they got, that kind of thing. And that was when she got her idea to write her, her um, the book that kicked it all off, The Rice Paper Ceiling. 
Um, so she contacted the Kaisha Society and said, could I have some of your latest surveys? And we said, yes, but how about writing a book together? Oh, <laughs> so wow. We did. Um, so it was that we sort of all wrote different chapters of that book and it got published by Jetro um, Books way back in the day. Um, called Kaishala Nakano Gaikokujin, so so the, the foreigners inside the Japanese company. It was kind of aimed at confused kacho team leaders yeah. who were like, what the hell is this foreigner doing on my team? Why do they want to work here? How do I deal with them? How do I interact and yeah, communicate? How do I deal with them? Why are they here anyway? Because there was a, I don't know if that's still the case for people living in Japan who are foreign. Oh, it's like every foreigner who lives like, in Japan gets why asked, are you why here? are you here? You know, why what's wrong with your own country almost you know <laughs> we don't have any ringer huts <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly um so so that was that was how it started and then um i did I sort of vaguely kept in touch with her over the years but then um when uh basically i got made redundant lost my job i, I joined an it company after my long time at mitsubishi corporation and like a lot of it companies in the 2000s it went bust because it spent lots of money very stupidly and I started doing various consulting work and got in touch with her because I realized she'd started up Japan Intercultural Consulting. Mm -hmm. And I realized that what I was doing in the UK was a bit similar, except in the UK rather than in America. And she said, well, great timing. Actually, some of my clients are asking for the European version of mm. this. So um, we still hadn't met face to face at this point. But I think finally she came over to uh, the UK to meet me. Um, and I think I also then met her once when I had a business trip over to California when she was still living mm -hmm. um, on the West Coast. And then I think most recently we met about two years ago when I took my son to Japan for the first time. And uh, yeah, fine. We, you, we, yeah, you find yeah. you've met her a few times, but what's the dirt? <laughs> <laughs> there is no dirt. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we need to. Uh, we, we've got some some backdated gratitude, Bobby, because uh, we didn't have an episode last week for very understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. If you're us, uh, so should we uh, not rattle through, but do them fairly quickly? Well, the the last the last regularly scheduled show that we did we'd mentioned that we hadn't had any new memberships or any donations in a little while and now we've got this yes. huge influx of coffee donations and new memberships starting with brian waters brian in fukuoka who bought us five coffees and said you don't have to beg um which you say that but we clearly <laughs> the facts do not we agree with your assertion <laughs> we, we had to beg uh, we had an anonymous three coffees. Uh, we had Fjolnir. Bobby, do you want to try that one? Fjolnir. F-J-O with, with a couple of dots on it. L-N-I-R. Please get in touch with the Katakana spelling of that and we'll get it right next time. Um, we also uh, need to say thank you to Kevin, uh, who bought us some coffees. We need to say thank you to Clayton. Uh, we need to say thank you to AK and Oleg, who became uh, a member uh, who gets access to, to all the bonus bits. Thank you very much, everybody. And Bobby, did we get any mails this week? Yes, uh, we got uh, an email from a Brian in Fukuoka named Pat, uh, who's in the US, and he said, hey guys, I'm trying to give you more money, but buy me a coffee's being weird and not going through. Is that on your end or mine? Uh, we assume it's on yours. What you can do is try again with three times <laughs> the amount of money and see if that goes through. Uh, he also wants to know, Ali, when are you doing a US tour? Oh, uh, that's a nice question to ask. I don't know when I'm going to get back out to the US. I'd love to. I, 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 I'm, I very happily did some shows in New York and San Francisco when I was there a couple of years ago. Uh, I know that visa requirements have got a lot harder uh, under Trump and uh, they haven't been relaxed yet. Um, and also, the last gig I did in the US was that horrific one at the Apple Store, which we've talked about on the show before. Uh, and I'm still not fully recovered from that. 
Anyway, Bobby, uh, shall we jump into the news? Bobby, do you know what's in the news this week? Well, it's been a year since the UK touted their Japan trade agreement as a feather in the Brexit cap, largely because they said it would do more for England than an EU-Japan trade deal would. Pernilla, how do you think that position holds up today? It holds up no more nor less than it did a year ago, which is not really, basically. Well, that's the answer that we guessed you'd give. <laughs> let's, let's dig in a bit deeper. <laughs> this stems from a, a spat between... Emily Thornbury, who wears a red hat, and Elizabeth Truss, Liz Truss, who wears a blue hat. Um, and the, the person that wears the red hat is the good guy. Uh, the person that wears the blue hat is the bad guy. And Oh, that's the opposite from the States. Is it? Yeah, the red hats are evil and the blue hats are slightly <laughs> less evil. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Emily Thornbury has taken Liz Truss to task, basically saying, is there a quantifiable difference between the EU-Japan trade deal and the new quote-unquote new UK-Japan trade deal. In order to, an to answer that question, we're going to ask a preliminary question, which is, what is a trade deal? Well, um, it could be anything you want it to be, really. Um, it can cover a huge variety of things. But of course, as we've discovered, people tend to focus most of all on the whole area of tariffs, which is sort of how much tax um, has to be put on goods that are brought in from another country. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, but it can also cover areas like government procurement. It can cover intellectual property, um, liberalisation. So you sort of it's a chance to try and sort of get the other people to, to liberalise their regulations a bit more. All, all sorts of things can get covered. But yes, it usually seems to end up about cheese. <laughs> so what was this trade deal? What what was this UK Japan trade deal that they put in place a year ago? Um, from sort of the past what? Oh gosh. 30 years, would it be? Um, more than that, 40 years of the UK being um, in the EU. Most trade negotiation was done through the EU, unsurprisingly. So um, all those deals, including the EU-Japan Economic Partnership Agreement, um, of course, ceased to apply once the UK had left um, the EU on, on January. Of so um, Liz Trust mm -hmm. and, and her team were put under immense pressure, and I guess you have to sort of give us some credit for that, to do what they called roll over as many of these pre-existing EU plus X type deals as, as they could. And one of the very first ones to get sort of rolled over was the EU Japan one. As anyone who's ever been with Ali will attest, it's pretty hard to roll over when you're under a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so there was a lot of accusations that this is all just cut and paste, cut and paste. And, and, and But um, Liz Truss, who, by the way, was a Remainer, had had been in favour of staying in the EU, apparently. Um, although yeah. I think she's most in favour of Liz Truss. It's, it's really fundamentally yeah. her motivation. So she's now become this sort of kind of big cheerleader for... for these aren't just rollovers. There's some British benefit. Brexit, uh, Brexit is wonderful kind of uh, approach. And I think she forces, and that's why we, we keep getting these spats on Twitter, because these poor civil servants that run the Department for Trade's Twitter account have to keep putting out these sort of cheaper soya sauce. Oh, and, yeah. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so with you. I don't know why they bother. Because like, the, as we know, Twitter's not read by the country it's, it's read by the political uh, class journalists and and you know busybodies uh like that it's i don't know why they just don't bother 
just deleting their Twitter account and not even engaging with the, 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 these spats because they know they're going to be taken. Yeah, to task. I think I think it's tr it's trolling basically. I think I think she does it yeah. deliberately to wind people up like mm -hmm. me. <laughs> well, well, well let, let's talk about the the, the issues because what this trade deal was actually about like where it did go further than the eu was say for example on mm, digital yeah. trade and on data rights because the eu is very very protectionist about how data can be moved we all know about gdpr that's got an influence so strong that even american companies have to take it mm. seriously and you know J japan wanted more data sharing and you know that was good for the digital economy all, all that stuff in theory like that's really if you're if you care about these kind of issues, that that could be a kind of a, a flag flying. You know, the UK is a service economy. Uh, we can sell our software to Japan. Japan can sell its software back. Uh, you know, we might not have manufacturing plants, but we can have the robots that, that generate blah, 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 blah. Right. But what this has actually come down to is uh, absolutely mad spats, as you said, about protected, protected origins. Right. So, like, are you allowed to call? black pudding, black pudding. Are you allowed to call Scottish beef, Scotch beef, Scotch beef? Or, or you know, a certain type of cheese, a certain type of cheese. Because, and my, my guess is, these are the stories which journalists like writing about because you can accompany them with an image that people click on. Absolutely. And, and there's something vaguely humorous about it as well, isn't there? Storn away black pudding, you know, it's sort of, um, you can just imagine Boris Johnson finding some alliterative way of talking about it, can't you? Uh, yeah. So right. It, and, and, and does this mean, just for, for someone example, who has uh, no idea what storing away black pudding is, we're, we're talking about uh, kind of things like you know, if it's not from the Champagne region, exactly. it's not Champagne. I mean, that's what it's about... off, isn't it? It's, it, it's, it's the bloody yeah. French, isn't it? Um, they they were the ones that started all of this with their Appellation d'origine contrôlée and all that. And and indeed, yes, I mean, you can you can see their point. They were getting very fed up with people claiming that any old horrible sparkling white wine was Champagne. And they said, no, champagne comes from the champagne region. Uh, and that sort of kicked it all off. So in this <laughs> trade deal, Japan promised the UK that they would give them more naming rights or origin yeah, rights for certain exactly. products? So, um, I mean, that, that, that's, but that's the bizarre bit of it, isn't it? Which is, um, I actually went and had a look at Japan's geographic indicators. And there's over 100 of them that Japan has... Has, and you can just imagine, of course, Japan would love that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they um, register Lake their, Ogawa, their shochus and things like that. water clams are protected. You know, you, they must mm. only come from Lake Ogawara. Um, but you have to think, well, is anyone about to fake Lake Ogawara oh, package water clams? <laughs> are the Chinese busily trying to export brackish water clams to, to the UK, claiming that they're, right. they're from Lake Ogawara when they're not? And would anyone in the UK care anyway? No. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, yeah, obviously. I'm, I'm sure there are certain things like Scotch whiskey, for example, where I'm sure the Scottish would be happier that you can't just say Scotch whiskey to describe any <laughs> any old whiskey. I'm sure there are, you know, there, there are certain ones where, yeah, you know, it matters. But what this, yeah. what seems to... Japan too, they do that with shochus yeah. and, and sakes and things like that. Yeah. It doesn't come from a certain region. It doesn't... Yeah. Mm. But but yeah, it, yeah. it seems that the kind of issues which people are talking about, such as, you know, this black pudding, if it has any effect on trade, it would be like rounding error yeah. level numbers. Yeah, and the it? worst thing really about that deal, I remember a year ago when I spotted this going, oh, God, this is just... Because, I mean, first of all, you already made, Bobby, that joke about British bland food. And, and, uh, and, and actually, I have to say that one of the comments that Japanese always make... 
first comedian ever to make a joke about British food in England, by the way. Yeah. I want the credit. Yeah. First one Obviously ever. you've yeah. never tried German or Dutch food, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but the... Um, I mean, I think one thing you can say for sure is that British food's actually got a lot better, well, certainly in the cities. I mean, you can still eat disgusting British food if you really want to, but, um, but of course, <laughs> one of the reasons that it's got a lot better is that um, we've got a lot of foreign people cooking foreign food here. Well, exactly. It's not our, it's not <laughs> yeah. our food anymore, Although Norwich it? has some really fine um, yeah. British food restaurants too, and, and we are becoming a lot more Japanese in that way, thinking about the origin of something and what's the best season to eat mm. it in and so on. So, mm-hmm. great. And I, and, and I think from that point of view, the geographic indicators thing's been actually a very good thing because it makes people a bit more aware of where the food comes from and, and, and what, what the best producers of it are. Sure. And I guess the opposite is true too, that this trade deal would allow British food to be sold to Japan more cheaply with lower tariffs? Like, does this mean that there's going to be a day where British expats don't need to come to Japan with suitcases full of Bisto gravy powder, Marmite, yeah. baked beans and antiperspirant? Yes, that, that's, a, that's a night out, by the way. <laughs> yeah. my, my, uh, my, my suitcase when I went back to Japan to see my parents contained paracetamols, Earl Grey tea and size 11 socks. <laughs> Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the the thing that was, I think, the most irritating about the way this deal was sold, um, and, and you have to say in a way, actually made it worse than what we had with the EU, was that the another thing that trade deals often contain are quotas. And so there were quotas agreed between the EU and Japan on things like cheese. And... Um, you know, immediately, of course, Twitter goes into a whole thing about, well, what's the point? Because all Japanese are lactose intolerant anyway, which is sort of true and sort of not true, if you kind of go into the research on that. Um, but when the UK negotiated their new deal with Japan, all they were really allowed to have was whatever was left over from the imports into Japan of EU cheeses. Yeah, mm-hmm. so can you imagine yourself? Mm-hmm. You are, you know, Mr. Tanaka, cheese importer in Japan. And um, you, what you have to do if you want to import British Stilton or whatever the other geographically protected Wensleydale, et cetera, are, um, what you would have done in the past would have been to consolidate a whole load of cheeses from Europe into one shipment, because that just makes more sense cost-wise. Imagine that box stinks. But now what you'd have to do is, is first of all, you're going to have problems consolidating because the UK is no longer in the EU. Um, and secondly, you'd have to pay tariffs on that British cheese initially. Mm. And then if there was any quota left over at the end of the year, you can then claim the tariff back. Right. <laughs> so if you're Mr. or Mrs. Tanaka, can you be bothered to do that? Yeah, of <laughs> Because, course. I mean, generally, yeah, that... British Japanese people would think good cheeses aren't actually British cheeses, unfortunately. They'll be thinking more about French cheeses and Italian cheeses, won't they? If they think about cheese at all. Let me ask a very blunt question. Were the Japanese bothered to do that? By which I mean, was there pressure put on the Japanese to make a trade deal with the UK so that the UK could use this as a PR thing for Brexit? Absolutely. And, and of course, the leverage... From the from the Japanese perspective, what they were very keen to get sorted out was the whole automotive parts bit. That was the mm. thing that they were most worried about. Mm-hmm. And, and because world... of the fact that the just-in-time supply chain was overnight obliterated. Yes, exactly. Um, and and all sorts of if tariffs had been put on um, 
parts coming into the UK for Toyota or Honda or, or Nissan, it would have caused an awful lot of problems. And in terms of the stuff that, in terms of this trade deal, resonates with the public, the things like the geographical origins, the, the naming rights and things like that, one of the big things that the, the government touted in the UK as a feather in the cap was that this was going to give them more rights than an EU-Japan deal would have. Has that been the case? <laughs> exactly as Ollie no. said, I think the, the only thing that you <laughs> no. can really say was a plus was the whole bit around data and algorithms. And Have we tried making cheese from data? Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 105 of Japan by River Cruise. It's great to be back. Yeah. Had a great show this week. Thanks to our guest, Pernilla Rudlin. Pernilla, if our guests would like to find more from you, where can they look? Well, I'm either around on Japan Intercultural um, or else. I, I also discuss UK, Japan and uh, trade and investment and so on on my um, Pernilla Rudlin Twitter account um, and also my blog on Rudlin Consulting. All right. We'll check those out. Thank you again. And thank you to everybody for listening. We will see you next week.